Welcome to issue 9 of the Attention Span newsletter by me, Canan Marashligil. I'm a writer, a literary translator, an artist and a curator of cultural programs based in Amsterdam. Every other week I take the time to reflect and offer a glimpse of how I see and feel the world through the lens of culture, art, translation, poetry and literature. Each issue has a short essay or some thoughts, a nerdy look at translation, a page from one of my notebooks, a list of things to read, watch or listen to. If you prefer an audio experience, here is the podcast version where I'm reading the newsletter to you. I also invite you to support my work via Patreon for as little as 3 euros per month. Thank you for your presence and attention. The essay. Once a planeur, always a flaneuse. Arzu was a high-spirited child, and Sevgi was crazy about her. Mother and daughter would walk all around Brussels together, discovering every single street, looking at shop windows and wandering the Royal Gallery Saint-Hubert. They would admire the handmade gloves, antique toys, chocolate fountains and Brussels lace adorning the windows. They would step on the cobblestones leading to the Grand Place, marveling at the grandiosity of the square and caressing Evrard Serclas for good fortune. They would check if Mannequin Piss had a new costume on and then move uptown via the Sablon, where they would stroll some more as they made their way towards the Ixelles neighborhood, where they lived nearby the university. Sevgi had always dreamed that her daughter would study, unlike herself. She would always regret not having finished her undergraduate degree, which she started at the University of Istanbul in 1978. Walking aimlessly was her escape. They would walk all along the Avenue Louise and its luxurious shop windows. They would take detours behind and stop in front of the typical Brussels mansions with their mind-blowing outside ornaments of twisted ironwork and stained glass depicting spectacular botanicals. There was nothing minimalistic about these streets and their architecture. It was a feast for their eyes. Sevgi takes pride in knowing the city better than any taxi driver today. She always finds her way through the narrowest back streets. When they would be too tired to walk or if the weather was too cold, Sivgi and Arzu would take the tram. The squealing noise it made as it turned and rode the tracks and the bell that would reverberate at every crossing added to the soundtrack of their mother-daughter ballads. This short fragment about mother and daughter Sevgi and Arzu is from my novel in progress. The passages are a blend of memory and imagination, childhood wrapped in fiction. They reveal to me that I was always a flaneur, a stroller, a lounger, a loafer, that 19th century poet who walks the streets and observes its happenings, reflects, walks some more, It's an art. Charles Baudelaire was a flaneur. Walter Benjamin too. In French, flaneur is a masculine noun. 
flaneuse is a feminine equivalent. Although according to Wikipedia, and I quote, the historical feminine rough equivalent of the flaneur is the passante, French for walker, passerby, end quote. I'm a flaneuse as much as a flaneur. If I go back into my memories and look at the fragment I shared of my fictional self with my fictional mother, we were never just passing by. The city was foreign to her, yet she was tracing her existence in it, one step at a time. Forty years later, I have archived those steps into fiction and made her a flaneuse not just a passerby. My mother still lives in Brussels today and knows all the back streets better than a taxi driver. Throughout the years, as part of my flaneuzing in many cities across the world, I developed an artistic practice which became City in Translation and materialized in workshops, residencies, talks, and a chapter in a Rutledge publication. Exploring languages in urban spaces was only a natural way for me to look at the world. Thanks to my family history, my reality has been rooted in motion, between places, languages, emotions. In French, the word OU changes its definition with only one accent, OU, written O-U, without an accent means OR, whereas OU, O-U, with an accent, means WHERE. I see this as a movement too, getting rid of the accent to transform place, WHERE, into a choice, OR. Fifteen years ago, I made the choice of moving from Brussels to Amsterdam. I was not always aware of my yearning for movement until I was constantly reminded that I was never really home in Brussels and that my language was alien in the city where I grew up since my earliest memory. What they insisted on calling my mother tongue came to me through body and gestures. I've been looking for my language in so many ways because I was enjoined to reject her. That language I was born into has been made invisible for decades in these new lands where my family and I were considered as passers-by. Now, in Amsterdam, I am living in a language I feel less connected to emotionally and yet accomplish so much connection with. The curiosity and amazement I have learned to nurture through flaneuzing has brought me here. I'm constantly trying to reclaim all my languages. I had no choice but to learn and speak my host's languages. With time, I made them mine as well. Through this process and understanding, Turkish has become the mother of all my tongues and transformed me into the translator writer and artist I am today. I've turned my roots upwards. I've created the possibility of being from nowhere so that I could belong everywhere. I owe this freedom to my mother, the initial flaneuse of my life. 
on translation. I'm currently working on a wonderful book project with the Poetry Translation Center in London. Together with poet Sarah Ho, author of the magnificent collection Loop of Jade, which was published in 2015, we are translating Karin Karakashli's poetry from Turkish to English. Karin is not only a poet, writer and intellectual I admire deeply, she has also become a friend. I had first met Karin through her work and my initial steps to become a published literary translator almost two decades ago. The way we are working for the Poetry Translation Center publication is a journey in itself. I propose an initial literal translation. I put it in quotation marks because nothing is ever literal. You always start interpreting the moment you imagine what a word, a line, a sentence, a poem means to you. And I add lots of notes regarding language, what I think the poet meant, how I felt it, etc., so that Sarah can take over with her own vision and passion for language and poetry. We had done a first collaboration like this one back in 2017, so I'm looking forward to sharing more with you all once the book comes out in spring 2024. For now, let me share two lines from Corinne's latest poetry I've been working on recently. See this as, a, as having access to my brain and heart. After all, we translate with our whole body. In the very first moment, I approach a text and start translating. So there's no editing work yet. This is just raw material. Ülken peşin sıra sürüklediğin would be translated literally as your country which you drag behind, bir kahır bavulu, is a suitcase filled with pain, an aching suitcase, a suitcase in agony. So the full sentence would be, your country is an aching suitcase you're dragging behind. So I just love this image of an aching suitcase, and I bet we all have at least one we keep dragging behind us. So... I guess translating poetry is one way to make my suitcases a little lighter. So stay tuned for the final translation Sarah and I will create. And now, listening, watching and reading. So listen. I started listening to Living Archives, an oral histories project co-produced by the Stuart Hall Foundation and the International Curators Forum. The project is made up of six intergenerational conversations. Each conversation considers an alternative history of contemporary British, uh, contemporary Britain, sorry, through testimonies shared by UK-based diasporic artists working between the 80s and the present day. The project will form what Stuart Hall calls a living archive of the diaspora which maps the development, endurance, and centrality of diasporic artistic production in Britain. It is hosted by ICF's Deputy Artistic Director, Jessica Taylor, who invites uh, practitioners to reflect on the reasons they became artists, the development of their practices, the different moments and movements they bore witness to, and the beautiful reasons they chose to be in conversation with each other. I will link uh, to the podcast in the show notes. Something to read. Picturing things 
taking a view is what makes us human. Art is making sense and giving shape to that sense. It is like the religious search for God. We are well aware that making sense and picturing are artificial, like illusion, but we can never give them up. These are notes from 1962 by painter Gerhard Richter, published in The Daily Practice of Painting, which assembles writing and interviews between 1962 and 1993, edited and introduced by Hans Ulrich Obrist and translated from the German by David Britt. It's one of the many books I have been gathering from the library. I go to university libraries and the local ones and have always a dozen of borrowed books around the house. I love reading several books in parallel. The context in which I read, whether it's external or internal, always influences how I f will feel a text. I admire Richter as a painter and reading his thoughts, his process and vision is just fascinating. And now, what am I watching? <laughs> I waited for weeks to find the right time to see Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer at the cinema. I would need to have had eaten before, bring water and snacks, make sure I'm rested so I can make it for more than three hours seated in a cinema. But all these went out the window last week when following a conversation which made me reflect on questions regarding integrity, moral and ethical responsibility in the positions I hold within culture, I decided to go for a walk and my steps made me cross the A River to the I Cinema, where they show Oppenheimer in 70mm. I didn't check the time once. I was deeply engaged in the complicated story, the magnitude of Nolan's visual language, the mesmerizing music, the superb acting and flawless cinematography. Of course, there are many angles to read this film from, and I understand the different critical point of views. But in that moment, I needed that in intense cinematic and human experience. I have loved many of Nolan's films and was disappointed in a few others. This one will be added to my beloved ones. And last but not least, a page from one of my notebooks, which I will try to describe to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a book I had found in a street library. It's a book in Dutch. And I forgot now the title in Dutch, but I translated it as Luck is an Encore. And it's a book I've been working in as a sketchbook in 2019. And this spread, you see some copper paint on some Dutch text and a dried flower, which is a bit broken and looks quite beautiful because it's very dark. The color, it lost its original color yellow color and became a bit brownish but you have all these different shades of dark yellow and brown and orangey and then you have the green leaves in between and then you have like one green leaf as if it's trying to escape from the flower so I really like this and that's it for issue 9 of the attention span newsletter I thank you very much 
for your attention, for being present with me every other week when I try to tell you a little bit of my own world. I will speak to you again in two weeks. Bye.